Yeah, you go. Just yeah, clear off, Carl. That's great. He's clearing off. I've just, I've not even started yet and he's leaving. But uh, morning, everybody. It's really, really great to be with you today. Real, a great privilege. And uh, yeah, Carl has been a friend and a brother for a long time. And, uh, and it's just really exciting to see the journey that Redeem has been on and to see these stories of people's lives being changed. And that's all it, what it's all about at the end of the day. So, um, so I've just, yeah, it was great to be with him uh, last night and I'm pleased to be with you this morning. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just look at them and say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person in here this morning. Why don't you just do that? Let's just have a little bit of mutual encouragement. Can we do that? I'm sure we all told the truth. And then what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to uh, turn to them or to someone else if they're looking a bit cross with you. And, uh, and, and I want you to go back to your childhood and, and just share, not, not something not too deep, but just like, what were you afraid of when you were a child? Were you afraid of the dark? Were you afraid of spiders? Were you afraid of heights? Or what were you afraid of? So uh, just, just literally again, 10 seconds, what were you afraid of when you were a child? Okay, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to start off this morning by, by sharing with you why I have an irrational fear of milk. Yeah, yeah, true story. You see, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, about 15 uh, years old, uh, I, I was, uh, I, I know you'll find this hard to believe, I was super skinny, like, I mean, really, really skinny. And, uh, and so I was, I, you know, my idols at the time were Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and all those big guys who had muscles in places I didn't even have places. And, uh, and I just thought, oh, I wanted to be like those guys. And so I, I started to get serious, you know, about going to the gym. And, uh, and I was pretty full on in terms of eating and drinking. And, and, and I knew you had to drink lots of milk, lots of milk. And so uh, I, I had this daily regime of just trying to get through about three or four pints of milk a day. And so I'd, I'd get up in the morning. I'm not a good morning person. Uh, and, uh, and so I would kind of sleepily come downstairs and we, we had this cupboard and we had these, these big, clear, blue, long glasses. And, uh, and basically, you could get a whole pint of milk into these glasses. They were, they were long and thin. And so I remember on this particular morning, I, I, I went to the cupboard and literally I'm like, I'm half asleep and just getting this glass and uh, putting it on our little breakfast table thing and getting some milk and filling it up and just sitting down and starting to drink. All was well for a moment. And then, and then suddenly I realized that as I, I was drinking that there was something other than just milk in my mouth. And uh, like what, what appeared to be like a massive ball of fluff. It was really, really weird. So I rolled this ball of fluff to the end of my tongue and I put the ball of fluff on the table and this milk-ridden, huge, hairy spider freaked out. True story. Freaked out, let's do it like this. And uh, I can definitely tell you, I've never had a glass of milk since then. You know, definitely just, just go carefully when you do the milk thing. And, uh, and so, I, I, you know, I don't have a big fear about spiders and stuff, but, uh, but that, that's nasty, isn't it? Just pause and that is bad, isn't it? Not good, not good. But there are things that we are afraid of. There are things that, much deeper than that, if we're honest. There are things uh, in our personal lives the, the things that sometimes, you know, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and the thought rushes into your head and you get that sicky feeling in your throat. There are, there are giants within 
things, you know, we live in a culture, don't we? So many people wrestling with the giants of anxiety or, or fear or worry over work or relationships. Things that, that if, if your life is anything like my life, there are big things in our lives. We live in joy and pain. I'm sure hopefully everyone here in this house today, like there's good things going on in your life, things that you're happy for, things that you're grateful for. But, but in most of our cases, and if this is not true for you, this is, that's awesome, but in most of our cases, they may feel like there's a few giants as well. Things that intimidate us, things that, that get to us. And of course, when we take our eyes, which we must do as well, off our own lives, there are giants in our world. There are big issues going on in the world around us. Big issues going on in Chesterfield. Big issues going on in the UK. Big issues going on in Europe. Globally, there are big things. There are giants in the land. And, and I want to speak to you this morning about like, just something that God has really gripped me with uh, this year, like a word for this year, which we're living with as a church, but I'm living with in my life. A little bit of a defiant word that I hope you will grab a hold of and God will put it into your soul and say, this year is the year that every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. And of course, if I'm thinking about giants, then there's the most famous giant story in the Bible is the story of... David and Goliath. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't know this story, you're going to find out about it. If you've got a Bible, you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's about, it's about there, basically. So if you've got a Bible, turn it on, open it up, because I'm going to read a few bits of the story, but mostly I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through it, because um, not to spoil the ending, but I'm about to spoil the ending. The basic thing of this story is there's a big giant, huge giant, nine foot tall, and this skinny little teenager called David is going to kill him, cut his head off, and by the end of the story, he's dead. Okay, that's, how, that's where we're going, uh, just so that you know. I know some, now you're thinking, well, we may as well leave. Like, you know, what's the point? But what I want us to draw out of this story are five things that we learn from this story about what it takes for us to be giant killers. Because I promise you, the God that we serve, that Carl has been talking about, is a God who is all about taking out the giants in our lives and using us, partnering with us to see some of the giants in our, in our land fall. And so what's interesting about this story, uh, and you can look at it in more detail later in 1 Samuel 17, is that when David rocks up onto the field, basically what's happened is David is a shepherd boy. So he looks after the sheep. He is probably in his mid-teens. And, uh, and, but his brothers, they have been signed up for the army, the, the Israelite army. And there's a big war going on, like a game of thrones between the Israelites and the Philistines. There are no dragons, but there are giants for sure. And, uh, and on this particular occasion, there's this, this big fight going on, and, it, and it's been going on for 40 days. And basically what's been happening, if you look at the beginning of chapter 17, what you'll see is um, every morning for 40 days, the Israelite army would come to the edge, uh, top of a, a kind of, of, of a cliffside. Then there was a big valley, and then there was another cliff. And they were on one side of the cliff, one, one side of the valley. And then the Philistines, the bad guys, everyone go boo. Excellent, very good. The bad guys, they're on the other side of the cliff. And, uh, and then this huge nine-foot-tall giant. I mean, that's tall. Like, you know, that is tall, isn't it? Nine foot. And uh, he would step out, like, huge guy with armor and stuff. And uh, he would step out, and he would basically say to them, if any of you Israelites want to come down to the middle of the valley and fight me, just one of you come and fight me, if you beat me... Then we, the whole of the Philistines, we will surrender to you. But if, but if I beat you, then you've got to surrender for, to us. 
And, and this literally went on every day for 40 days. He would step out, they would step out. Goliath would call across the valley, come over here if you're hard enough, basically. And, uh, and their knees would knock, literally in the original Hebrew that the Old Testament is written in. It, it literally conveys that sense. They were so terrified by this giant that their knees knocked and they would turn away. And this, this whole thing, it just kept happening every day for 40 days. Goliath would come out, the Israelites would come out, come over here if you're hard enough. Their knees would knock and then they'd go the other way. And... And so all of this is going on. David doesn't know anything about this. And then David's dad, Jesse, says to him one day, look, well, go and take some, some extra food for your brothers. And so David arrives into this scene. Now, here's, here's the important thing I want, I want us to remember at this moment, obviously, is that in the moment that David arrives on the scene, there are no giant killers. So there's no one in the Israelite army who is willing to take on this guy. No one. People train for battle, train for warfare. No one's willing to do that. And, and, and here we, we discover the first thing about a giant killer. And the first thing about a giant killer that we see in, in David is that giant killers burn with complaint. They burn with complaint. If you look at um, verse 26... It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Like David looks at this scene and he goes like, this is outrageous. Who does this giant think he is? Speaking to God's people like that. Intimidating God's people like that. Like trying to make like God is nothing. Like who does he think he is? Like men and women throughout history who have done great exploits with God have always got mad about something. Like there's a big difference between complaint and concern. You know, you watch something on the TV and, uh, and you might feel concerned about it. But concern doesn't drive you to action. Like we've all been to a restaurant, haven't we? And you're sitting down, you're having a nice meal and they bring up your meal and the peas are cold. And, and you start saying to your partner, oh, flip me, the peas are cold. Oh, it's really, really annoying. And the waitress or waitress comes over and they say, how's the food? And you go, it's lovely, it's fine, it's great. Because, because concern doesn't cut it like if you're one of those people that speak up that's because you have a complaint because complaint drives you to speak up think about Jamie Oliver like for decades and decades and decades people have been complaining about school dinners haven't they like that you know they have but Jer Jer uh, Jamie Oliver not Jeremy Oliver that's another person Jamie Oliver he has a complaint Jamie Oliver looks at this and says look what we're feeding our kids is affecting their education it's affecting their life this has to change the culture has to change that's what complaint does it drives you to action you think I've got to do something about this Guys, let me, let me say to you, like, if, if there are giants within, if there are anxiety issues, addictions, some of us today have got to look at those things again saying, no, this is not happening any longer for me. Like some of us have been defined uh, by our anxiety. We've been defined by our addictions. We've come to just believe, well, I'm always going to be sick. I'm always going to be out of work. I'm always going to be by myself. Uh, I'm always going to suffer from anxiety. I'm always going to be addicted to this. We've come to live with those things. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you to say, do not believe that. It's time to get mad again that you're struggling with those things. It's time to believe that actually God wants to visit you today and set you free.
Amen? I, I come from a Pentecostal church. And now and again, not very often, mind you, now and again, my church speak back to me. And uh, they, they do. They just they'll go, amen. Or if I'm doing badly, they'll just go, help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus. All right? So now and again, just, you know, now and again. So just so I know you're alive. And, and, and then think about, like, not just like, you know, think about the other stuff that's going on in our world. Like, you know, why, why has Carl started a church? Why was he so involved in CVM? Like, why do you do CAP? Well, like, we do CAP as well because we're mad about the giant of people being stuck in debt. We're mad about it. And we want to see that giant fall, don't we? We want to see people get jobs. We want to see relationships restored. We want to see miracles happen. We believe that stuff. We want to get mad. Like, what gets you mad? Like, what, you know, what, what gets you up in the morning? What, what are you looking at in the world? And, and allowing God's spirit to get a hold of you that you think, I've got to do something about that. When I was, you know, I grew up in a Christian family, but when I was 17 years old, I got involved in the youth work of our church. Uh, that's 31 years ago. And about four weeks in, like, God broke my heart for young people, even though I was still a pretty young guy myself. And, uh, and I, just, I just know, like, the fact that young people and children are missing out on how amazing Jesus is, that they're struggling with so much pressure, that gets me. I am committed to spend the rest of my life working alongside children, young people, and, adult, and young adults, seeing them experience the life that God has for them. I'm really a youth worker faking it as a senior pastor. Just don't tell my church that. Like, that's, I'm stirred with complaint. I, I, like, if you're not sure today what gets you mad, then I, I would encourage you. Open your eyes. Start praying. God, what is it? What's the thing that I need to start giving myself to? Like, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, didn't he? He said, if you haven't got a cause worth dying for, then you're not fit to live. Tough words. The whole reason we're here today is because Jesus Christ had a complaint. And his complaint was that you and I were separated from him with no hope of restoring the relationship. And he gave his life on the cross. And he rose again three days later so that you could be forgiven and restored into relationship with him. And join with what he's doing right here, right now on planet earth. Seeing heaven break out and not worrying about death because you know you'll be with him for all eternity with me. Some of you are like, oh, you were doing so well until that last bit. <laughs> complaint. Giant killers burn with complaints. Secondly, secondly, they act with confidence. And, and, and the interesting thing, there, there are two things that uh, David has confidence in. If you look with me at verse 34, because um, basically he, he signs up. He says, I, I'll take this guy out. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this guy out. And they say, you can't do it. You're just a kid. You're like just a spotty little kid. And he says to the king, verse 34, your servant has been, keeping, uh, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came out and carried off a, a, a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. I've killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of this bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I want you to notice two things in this, in, in this verse about where, where he has his confidence. Because the, the truth is, guys, David does have some confidence in himself. 
He is saying, you know what? God has put some gifts and abilities in me. Like God has trained me for this moment. It's like he's saying, I've got skills, they're multiplying, and I'm losing control because the power that God's supplying is electrifying. Come on now. I nearly, I nearly sang it, but I just knew that Luke would be upset. I nearly did. <laughs> but that's what he's saying, guys. He's saying, like, I've been, I've been, God's been preparing me for this moment. God has invested some gifts and talents and passions, and I'm going to direct that stuff in the area of this complaint. And I'm here again to say to someone this morning, you are gifted. You are talented. God has put good things within you. I, you know, I don't care if anyone ever said the opposite. I'm sad about that, but the reality is God never misses out on anyone. There are gifts and talents and abilities you have. Some of you are great at organizing. Some of you are great at speaking. Some of you are great at hospitality. Some of you are great at art. Some of you are great at this and at that. But there are things that you can do and you can do well. And that you can use those things and direct them to the area of your complaint. Is anyone hearing me today? Great. Thank you, brother. So he's confident in himself. Not fully confident, as we'll discover in a moment, but he is confident in himself. But of course, ultimately, he is confident in his God. He is confident in his God. You know, the, the, the whole philosophy of the Israelites are, this guy is so big, we cannot win. David's philosophy is, my God is so big, I cannot lose. I cannot lose. They're, they're, they're looking at him and thinking, he's so huge, like we'll never get to him. Whereas David's like, he's so, he's so huge, I just can't miss. There's just no way that, I, that I, I cannot avoid taking out this giant. This giant is so massive, the size of the giant is his downfall. And the problem is Jesus gives these incredible words, doesn't he? He says to us, even faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. That is an amazing verse. You know, where many of us are here today, we think, oh, my faith is weak. Good, you're in good shape. Like, do you know how small a mustard seed is? It's tiny. Like, if I had it between my fingers, you wouldn't see it. It is tiny. But the point of our tiny little faith is amplified by a big God. And this big God says, stop looking at the mountain. Look at the God who moves the mountain because there's nothing that's impossible for him. Like, I love that verse in Romans 8 where, Jesus, where, where Paul writes that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about that. Like, if Paul had just written, we are conquerors in Christ Jesus, like, that would have been enough for me. Matt, you're a conqueror in Christ Jesus. But he says, you're more than a conqueror. I don't know even, Carl, what more than a conqueror means. But it sounds good. It sounds good that I'm more than a conqueror. Scripture says that if God is for me, who can be against me? Scripture says no weapon formed against me will prosper. So many passages of Scripture that remind us God is with us, friends. God is with us. And he's the God that takes out the giants. We can be confident in him this morning. Thirdly, so we, we burn with complaint. We act with confidence. And then thirdly, we run with courage. We run with courage. I, I love this moment where, where, where David, he picks up his stones. We'll come to those in a moment. And, and it says, if you look in verse 48, it says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. This teenage boy is mad. Running, running. 
And, and I promise you, like, if, if you're not familiar with the story of David at all, like, read the whole story of David. It's, it's, like, David's my, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And if you, if you look at David's story, you will discover in David, actually, David is a vulnerable, broken, getting things wrong, messed up kind of guy. And, and so when he runs, I promise you, it doesn't say it in the text, but I know enough about his life. I promise you, there are moments when he's running, he's thinking, what am I doing? Because, because this guy isn't Superman. And, and the reality is, like, if we're going to take on some of the giants in our lives and the giants in our world, there will be moments when we'll think, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why have I taken this on? Can I really push through? I think it was uh, Brinnie Brown who once said, courage is fear that said its prayers. Courage is fear that said its prayers. For whatever we're going to face in life, the stuff, if you're going to push through and get breakthrough in your life about things that you're facing in your own personal world, if, if you're going to see breakthrough in some of the issues in Chesterfield and around the world, guys, it's going to demand courage. Some grit, some determination. You are going to think, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I don't know if I can break through. I, I don't know if I can see my family come to faith. I don't, I, I don't know if I can get free. Like, just welcome to reality. Welcome to reality. I, I, I love that story where uh, a man comes up to Jesus and he wants Jesus to heal his son who... Um, who is suffering with kind of demon possession. And Jesus says to him, like, do you believe that I can heal your son? And he wonderfully and honestly says, yes, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Right? Doesn't that describe every single one of us in this house today? God, I believe. I believe you can take out the giants, but I, but I also doubt. That's just real, isn't it? But he runs with courage. He doesn't allow that fear to paralyze him. He chooses to give into faith and not into fear. Runs with courage. And then number four, he presses on with commitment. Uh, you can see verse 51, David ran and stood over Goliath. This is after he's knocked him out. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And he took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. You know, if you look earlier in the text, you'll see that David grabbed five stones, five pebbles. You know, and, he, and he, for those of you who've not got the story, basically he gets five stones, puts, puts them in his little pocket, and he gets a sling, and he swings it around. First stone hits Goliath, sinks into his forehead, kills him outright. Yes. And then he goes up to him, and he gets Goliath's sword, which he probably could hardly lift, and chops his head off. Because there's something in David that says, I am not going to stop until I know this, this Goliath is definitely out. You know, some theologians say that the reason that, that he grabbed five stones is because Goliath had four other brothers. And he's thinking to himself, once this guy's out, I'm going to take on the other four. I'm going to make sure I rid this land of the giants. I don't know if that's true or not, but I could definitely believe it. But like, it, it, when, when I was growing up, don't tell anyone I told you this, I, I was a bit partial to a horror film. I know it's a shocker, not kind of evil ones. 
Uh, well, they're all evil, really, aren't they? But, but you know, the kind of the, the, the mad axeman who's going around killing people, you know, the kind of the, the Friday the 13th things, all that kind of stuff. And I've watched enough of those films to know, you know, it gets to the end and you've got the, the hero, the heroine, and, and they, 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 they kill the, the bad guy, and then, and then they walk away, don't they? And I'm like, have you not seen these films? Do you not know that unless you cut this person's head off, it will come back? So I'm, sometimes, I'm watching the TV, take his flipping head off! Because they always, you know, they're walking, you know, and the music's building, and then they're just like, and you're like, take its head off! Again, I'm here this morning to, to say to some of you and the giants that are going on in your life, take its flipping head off. Like, do, make sure that this giant is dealt with. Like, don't muck around. Like, some of the giants of sin and things that we struggle with. Like, don't mess around with it. Take its head off. Do whatever it takes to get free. And, and the same, you know, like... The whole thing with, you know, if you think about some of the, the men and women who've done great things, given their lives to, to causes like Wilberforce and the slavery and Martin Luther King, like the, these people, they, they were, and many of them did, literally, they'll give their lives because I just got to see this thing come down. Keeping on, keeping on, never quitting, never giving up, even though you feel like it sometimes, even though you get knocked down, but just thinking, no. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to make sure this giant comes down on my watch, in my time, in my life, and in this world. You know, I, I, I'm 48 years old. I'm, I'm praying I'll still be going strong in another 40 years. But with the amount of pizza, that's probably not likely, but pray for me. And, but I'm praying I am, and, I, and I'm thinking, okay, there are nine and a half million young people in this country who only know Jesus as a swear word. But I got 40 years. Yeah, things could happen in 40 years. I've given 31 years of my life to it already. But in the next 40 years, with some prayer and kindness and movement and people like us working together, we could see a revolution of the kingdom of God breaking out in children and young people. I'm, I'm in! Like, I'm in, I'm in for that. And for some of you, it'll be something else. Some of you, it will be bringing people out of debt. I know if you spoke to John Kirby, who's the, who's the guy who heads up CAP, he, he's looking for the day where CAP is not needed anymore. Because it's done. Like, no charity wants itself to exist. We want to do ourselves out of a job when we're working in spheres like that. Like, we're committed. We're going to keep on keeping on. Until the job is done. And then lastly, the last thing about a giant killer, which you don't see in this story actually, but you see in Second Samuel chapter 21. So you're going to have to flip uh, later in your Bibles, is that giant killers are contagious. You, do you remember I told you right at the start that, that when David steps onto the battlefield, there are no giant killers. Remember that? Now look at this, look at this. David's now pretty old. He's an old man. And he's still on the battlefield. Second Samuel 21, verse 15. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. That whole battle, it just keeps going on, decades and decades. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And then Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels, and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. 
But Abishar, son of Zuriah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel, that's what they called him, would not be extinguished. But then just look at these next few bits. Verse 18. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At the time, Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanar, son of Jer, the Beth. Bethlehemite killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod and if you continue reading you'll see all of these giants you see when David stepped onto the battlefield there were no giants but by the time he died he'd raid up a whole generation of giant killers because giant killers are contagious. And, and what I want to say to you as I start to close and we're going to pray is that when, when you get mad about your anxiety and say, no, you know, I'm going to refuse afresh to live with this. I believe that God can bring new levels of freedom or your addiction or whatever your giant is in your life. When you start to see God at work in that, then other people who are struggling with that will see your example and they'll believe they can get free too. As you get free of your giants, you will, you will inspire other people to get rid of theirs too. And I love the story of in the, in the mid-50s, like everyone said it was impossible to climb Mount Everest. But Sir Edmund Hillary did in the mid-50s what everyone said was impossible. And what became radical for him became the new normal for everybody else. Similarly, in the mid-50s, people said it's impossible to run a mile in less than four minutes. Doctors said your heart will explode. But in front of 6,000 people in, in a big, uh, order, a big uh, athletics track, Roger Bannister does what everyone says is impossible. No one had done it before, but his radical became the new normal. And 47 days later, I believe it was, someone did it. You see, you're radical, you're overcoming, you're breakthrough. When you step into something new of God and your giants fall, then you inspire those around you to believe that you can, they can do it too. That's what it's supposed to be about, our legacy, what we leave, the impact that we have, both in the battles that we face within, but also without. But also without. It's not just about us. It's about others too. And so... Every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. I'm not being triumphalist. I'm a realist. I'm not. But, but something has stirred in me when I'm just like, I've had enough of some of this stuff. I've had enough of brokenness that's in the world. I've had enough of people struggling. I've had enough with a multitude of people dealing with anxiety and, and just not finding. I'm like, I've had enough. I've had enough of people not knowing how amazing Jesus is. I've had enough, something stirring in me to say, come on, I want to be a giant killer. Because we follow the greatest giant killer of all. And his name is Jesus. And, and he, the whole goal of our life is to become like him. And if you want to become like him, then you're saying and you're signing up to be a giant killer. Do you know, when, when, when churches started doing, I'll just finish with this. You know, when, when churches years and years ago started to do the altar call, as, you know, the altar call, when the you know, guy at the front, like me, would, would stand at the front and say, if you want to know Jesus, then say yes today. And today's a good day for some people in this house to say yes to Jesus. And so there'll be an opportunity for you to do that, I'm sure, before this meeting's out. But that was, that, the whole altar call thing was pioneered by a guy called um, Charles Finney. He was an evangelist. 
And the whole idea is when you came to the front, this is, what, this is absolutely true, what would happen is you'd come to the front and you would give your life to Jesus and then you would keep walking to the back of the room and you'd go into the back of the room and you would sign up to be part of the anti-slavery movement from the get-go. You were signing up, not just to Jesus, but to Jesus' mission. And Jesus' mission was all about setting people free. That's what you were responding to. Not just like, Jesus has forgiven me, so now I've got my ticket to heaven. Jesus is not interested in selling tickets to heaven, people. He is looking for heaven to break out on the earth, here and now, through men and women, boys and girls, who are willing to say, I'm in, even if it costs me my life. Even if it costs me my life.